Great. Well, if you can open up to Galatians chapter 5 this morning for our sermon as we continue our series called Fresh Faith from this wonderful book of Galatians. Great. Today's title is called True Freedom, and it's from Galatians 5. We'll be going through verses 1 through 15. And if you were here last week, church, we spoke about a radical faith, a radical faith in God and his eternal promises. This morning, we're going to talk about where that radical faith leads. And church, it leads us to freedom. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God wants you to be free. But what we're talking about this morning, this is important. It's not just a political freedom from tyranny or corruption. It's not even the economic freedom. You know, the ability to work hard and to enjoy the fruit of your labor. It's not even a religious freedom in the sense of we're able to openly live according to the dictates of our conscience or beliefs. All of those, they're precious freedoms. You know that. I know that. And I know many of your stories. You came or your parents came to experience, to this land, to America, to experience those freedoms. And we treasure those freedoms. But you realize that there are brothers and sisters in Christ this morning around the globe who do not possess that freedom that we just spoke about, political, economic, or religious. But there is a freedom, church, which is fundamentally fundamentally deeper and more precious than any of those freedoms. It's a freedom that any Christian can experience, no matter where they live, no matter what they have done. It's a freedom which you can't legislate. It's a freedom you can't buy. And it's a freedom that no one can take away from you in Christ Jesus. It's the gospel worked deep, deep down into your soul. It's a freedom from soul-shriveling compulsion. And it's a wide open love, freedom to love. So here's my goal this morning. It's not just that you would understand this freedom. I want you to understand what it is, what it's not. Oh, church, may we taste this freedom. May we experience this freedom as believers. May we crave this freedom. And may we put it to use for God's glory. For God is calling us in this passage to do simply this. Live as those who have been set free. Live as those who've been set free. Free from what? Freed from the bondage of the law. Free from what? Freed to serve one another in love. So with that in mind, let us go ahead and read our text this morning. We'll start with verse 1 of chapter 5, where we read these words. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. 
you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Church, let's pray. Dear Lord, as we have prayed this morning, so I pray again that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, my ambitions are high this morning and my abilities are low. So I'm asking that you, by your spirit, would allow us to understand, to experience and to apply this freedom, O Christ, which you have won for us at the cross, I pray. Amen. Well, point number one, church, we have been freed. We're to live in this freedom, and we've been freed from the bondage of the law. Verse one, Christ has set us free. Christ has purchased our spiritual freedom by his blood on the cross. And he's calling us now to live in it. As we talked about last week, his death on the cross was sufficient. It was sufficient to what? Free us. Free us from what? Performance. Any performance of ours, any works by which we would attempt to justify ourselves before God and win his approval. The cross is sufficient. It's Jesus, church. But what's also clear and perhaps less contemplated in this is that we must stand our ground. We must stand our ground or or else we may lose this freedom. We're tempted to return to the slavery we once knew. Church, there is a real temptation, even if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, to go back to our old slave master, to try to return to the country from which we once fled. Verse one, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Here's the imperative. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What's the temptation? It's this, to surrender your freedom. For the Galatians, the yoke of slavery, which Paul is referring to in this letter, is living under the law, living under the bondage of the law. And the first step to living under the Jewish law was to be circumcised. 
The issue that Paul's talking about, we have to do a little work here, don't we? Because we say, what, what's circumcision? I, I'm, not, I'm tempted to, what's going on here? Paul's issue is not the practice of circumcision per se. It's the motive. See, Paul here is vehemently opposed to these false teachers who are in Galatia, who are in the church, who are imposing this Jewish practice upon the Gentiles. They're doing it and they're imposing it as a way to gain God's full acceptance. And if the Gentiles who are in that church were to accept accept this practice on that basis, it would obligate them to fulfill the entire law, the rest of the Mosaic law, the Jewish rules and regulations. And this would bring the Gentiles, this would bring the Galatians into a bondage of the law, a law they can never keep. Therefore, he says in verse one, they'd be tempted to return to slavery. They had, coming to Christ, turned away from the slavery, the pagan rituals and superstitions. Paul's saying now, don't exchange that slavery for another slavery, the slavery of living under the Jewish law, which you cannot fulfill. Church, you're here this morning, you hear that, and you go, great, I think I get it. I'm not sure if I do, but I think I may get it. But I am not tempted to be circumcised this morning, okay? That's not a temptation. I got a lot of temptations in my life, but that's not one of them. I get that. But I think we all face this temptation. It's to add something. It's a, a spiritual practice, a preference, or some man-made custom to our saving faith in hopes of being made right with God, i.e. righteous. And I want to present the temptation this way in a simple formula to help you. Let's put it up here on the screen. What is freedom we're talking about? Freedom that we're talking about, this spiritual freedom, it's faith in Jesus equals right with God. What does that mean? In other words, those who place their saving faith in Jesus, that he lived the life that we could not live in perfection, that he died the death that we deserve, the penalty for our sins. If our faith is in Jesus and his work upon the cross, we will be made right with God. We will be declared righteous, justified, and saved. That's where freedom is, church. But let's go to the next slide. Bondage. Here it is. The type of bondage that Paul is talking about here. And so, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. I got faith in him. But it's faith in Jesus plus. Well, you fill in that blank. Any works that make us right with God. Any practice, any personal preference, custom, whatever it may be, faith in Jesus plus that work equals right with God. This is the bondage which Paul is talking about. I believe God wants to address us in this morning. See, knowingly or sometimes even unwittingly, we can attempt to add to Christ's savings work with our own personal preferences and practices. We adopt that formula. Faith in Jesus plus. Faith in Jesus plus parenting God's way. Whatever that practice is for you. Oh, it's faith in Jesus. Let's go back. Faith in Jesus plus dressing God's way. Whatever that way may be for you. Oh, it's faith in Jesus. Oh, plus schooling God's way. Faith in Jesus plus dating God's way. Faith in Jesus plus Voting in God's way equals right with God. 
And you say, wait, 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 wait a second. Well, I don't, I'm not a legalist. I don't believe that actually saves me. But you know what? When you add that little plus to it, you do feel a little more right, a little more righteous than others, don't you? Who don't adopt your same preferences or practices. We can even fill in this blank, Jesus plus, with really good things like biblical practices, like, as I'll mention, tithing, giving, that's good. Faith in Jesus plus tithing. Faith in Jesus plus church attendance. Faith in Jesus plus fasting. Faith in Jesus plus my practical daily devotional habits. We can subtly view our reason or even very good biblical practices as bribes for God's blessings. And I want to help us here. Here's my concerns. I prepared this sermon. That you would hear this, and I can do the same thing, church. You know, thanks, Corey, got it. I'm not a legalist. You know, that doesn't really apply to me. And maybe it doesn't. I don't assume it does for everyone. Praise God. But I just, for a moment, don't want you to assume that, okay? I just want to ask a couple of questions. Well, how will you know if this Jesus plus functionally is occurring in your life? You may not believe it. It's not orthodoxy. You don't believe it. You would never say you do it or believe that. You would never put that formula up on the screen and say, that's me. But functionally, you're living that way. How do you know? It's hard to detect sometimes. Well, here's some questions. How do I detect that this is operating functionally in my life? One way is this, that you expect God's punishment. I mean, not even punishment. You just expect God's disfavor when those spiritual bribes that you're offering stop. Or you, it's not that you, you even expect punishment. You just expect God to, well, he's not going to bless me. God is going to withhold blessing when your spiritual payments cease. Or here's another one. You feel like your faith is being personally attacked when people do not agree with your practice, your spiritual practices, or they don't adopt. It's not that you want them, like maybe you have a practice of daily devotional reading, you have a system that works for you, and it, you want people to benefit from that. I'm not talking about that, but when they don't agree with you or do it differently, I mean, you think it personally. In fact, you're angry. It's a threat to your faith. Why? Because your faith is in Jesus plus something. That's your faith. So they are attacking your faith because you're putting your faith in that. And you feel it, and it's personal. Church, I, I'm busted here. I mean, I, I can identify with that. I have reacted pridefully, sinfully, personally, when others haven't agreed with me in my practices. See, instead of doing these practices in faith that you're doing in that God is using these practices to draw you closer to God, you do them more out of fear of God. Instead of doing them in love for your Savior, I want to become more like my Savior. You're really doing it out of love for self. What you really want is people to be more like you. Church, that's bondage. That's bondage. Paul says bluntly in verse two, if you think this way, i.e., if you think you can bribe God, we read this, Christ will be of no advantage to you. That could be interpreted, Christ will literally be of no profit to you. If you try to bribe God, 
Christ will be of no profit to you. If you think you can justify yourself by the works of the law or by your own bribes, Paul says in verse 4, these are harsh words, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. In other words, you have said this, Christ and his work on the cross is not sufficient enough for you and you are trusting in something other than Christ for your salvation and righteousness. You are severed from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. Let's be careful here. We can read that and think, whoa, whoa. Fallen away from grace? I could lose my salvation? I don't believe this verse means that you can lose your salvation. I think it means that you never had it in the first place. If you should persist in a works-based righteousness, Jesus plus. In other words, you stand outside of God, outside of Christ and his grace, the very Christ that you profess. But I also want to be careful here as well. Neither does this mean this. If you're a true believer in Christ, it's Jesus and him only, of which you were made righteous. That doesn't mean you won't be tempted to find justification by the works of the law. That's been implicit from the very beginning, the command. Why did you stand firm? Hold your ground because you're tempted. Verse one, I'm tempted. You will be tempted. But this has been a tough sermon for me. I, I, I've been troubled by this. I really have this week and I've been troubled here. And this is the question that's been running through my mind all week. Why would someone who's set free be tempted to go back to slavery? Why would this even be a temptation? What would tempt a Christian who knows better to want to freely enter back into slavery? Well, I think we have hints in our passage today. I want to bring them out. Verse five, look at verse five with me. We read this. For through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So there's something we don't quite have yet. We, we hope for righteousness. Well, I thought we already are righteous in Christ. I believe Paul means this. He is speaking about our future perfection, what the Bible often calls our glorification. It's the work of the Spirit, and it's not yet. So we feel a tension, can't we, in Christ? We have truly been declared objectively righteous, but experientially, we're not yet fully righteous. There is a gap. To what is true, what's been declared to be true, and what we actually experience. We're not perfect. In fact, we're far from it. We still sin, and we still feel, at times, to feel condemnation. I mean, we know we've been freed from the penalty of sin in Christ Jesus. We know, we believe, help me believe, Lord, I've been justified. But I still feel guilty. I wrestle with my humanity every day. And this can tempt us. It can even drive us to try to Make good to atone for our sins by adding something, Jesus plus, to our faith in Jesus. You say, well, I'm trying to believe that I'm made right with God. I'm a Christian and I want to stand in these truths, but I don't feel right with God. I can't be, I've blown it. There's something I'm missing. There's some secret sauce that I don't know about. There's some secret ingredient that's messing in my life. It's Jesus. That's it. <laughs> but where are you looking? There has to be more, something else I can do to make us all right with God. Because this ain't working. 
Welcome to sanctification. Welcome to the already and not yet. You are righteous, but God is making you righteous and complete in him. And we can be tempted in that process, in the already but not yet. But I think there's a second reality here as well we must contend with. And it's not only our own insecurities. And we have our doubts, don't we? We, we all experience guilt. That can lead us back to works righteousness. But you know what? There will always be people who want to hold your hand and lead you back into this slavery. There's people quite willing to lead you back into the slavery. Go back. Just take a look at Galatians 2, verse 4. Let's go back three chapters. I just want you to hear these chilling words. And this is why Paul is so animated in this book. I mean, he's ticked off, okay? He's angry. Verse 4 of Galatians 2, we read this. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in into your church and your congregation, why? To spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Why? Here's the reason why. So that they might bring us into slavery. The intention of these false teachers is to enslave you. We read in the passage today. Let's go back to Galatians 5, our passage. Look at verses 7 and 8. Paul is asking in this section here, he goes, Who hindered you? Who? Who? From obeying the truth. This persuasion, this Jesus plus stuff, is not from him who calls you. And who's it from, church? You understand, we're battling real spiritual forces. Spiritual forces that are conspiring against your freedom in Christ. Those who want to trip you up and persuade you to adopt a false gospel. Church, there is a master deceiver. There is an enemy of your soul. Who else would want to sever you from Christ? But Satan. Look back at the language of Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. The very first verse we read. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. What this is? It's a spiritual warfare language. And, and, and I'm not saying that here to scare you or just to pass the buck. That's all Satan. I'm just an innocent victim here. No, you're not. You're guilty. You're, you are culpable. That is, you must account for your own heart. But there are those who are ready to prey upon your heart and your sinful inclinations. They're on your TV. They're on the internet. They're in the pulpit. And they're in your bookstores. Church, we need discernment. We need discernment. You know what else we need? We need weapons to fight this battle. We need weapons. And those weapons are found back in Galatians 5, 5 and 6. It's easy to miss them. I want to give you three words, three weapons that are mentioned in these two verses. It's faith. You see that? It's hope. And it's love. Ever heard that before? The great triad of scripture, faith, hope, and love. What the greatest of these is love. Look at verse six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, what? Working through love. Church, we fight by putting the freedom won for us in Christ to work 
How? By expressing our faith in Christ Jesus through love. That's love for one another. Not only have we in Christ been freed from the bondage of the law, freed from, oh, listen to this. This is so important. We've been freed to. We've been freed to serve one another in love. And that's our second point. We haven't just been freed from something, the bondage of the law. We've been freed to do something, to serve and to love. That's what we see in verses 13 through 15. Point two. Let me read verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I don't know all that's going on here in Galatians, this church, but yeah, they got issues. They got problems. Apparently this Galatian church, there's just a lot of biting. There's a lot of fighting. You know, when I read verse 15, actually even the grammar as such, it's the image of a pack of wild animals. I just think of like these hyenas, you know, in the safari in Africa, some National Geographic show. And they're just, they're going after one another. They were using their so-called freedom as what? An opportunity for the flesh. In the name of freedom, they were churning out the blogs, the social media posts, and the tweets to make their point and to bolster their opinion. I'm a circumcision. I'm not a circumcision. And they're going after one another. And in doing so, they're attacking one another and they're in danger of annihilating one another. Verse 15. And Paul makes it clear. This is not freedom. You know what this is? This is an abuse of freedom. Church, the freedom of speech, the freedom to say whatever you want to say, or the freedom to do whatever you want to do, is not freedom if that freedom fails the test of love. I suspect in a church like this, the size that we have people who may struggle with either point. Some of you, it's number one. You might be tempted to surrender your freedom. You tend towards legalism of some shape or size. But there are others of you, this is your temptation, it's to abuse the freedom that you have in Christ. It's not legalism, it's license. To say and do whatever comes to your mind in the name of freedom. What's the temptation? Simply put, to abuse your freedom. Oh, this passage is so ripe with irony. I don't want you to miss the irony here. I think it's very intentional. Listen carefully again to what Paul says in the last half of verse 13. Only do not use your, your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, love, through love serve one another. See that word opportunity? It also mean springboard. In other words, don't use your freedom purchased for you in Christ as an opportunity to dive, springboard, dive headlong into your own sinful passions. Now you say, wait, I didn't do anything to earn my salvation. I got that clear doctrinally. There's nothing that can take it away. I'm forgiven. I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. And so you dive in. Oh, oh this is true. You are free. But you're not free to serve. Serve one another. Verse 13. 
that word translated serve, that sounds a little mild in our English. It comes from the word doulos. It means slave, bondservant. Oh yeah, you're free. You're free to be a slave. <laughs> you're free to be a bondservant. You know, that's how Apostle Paul introduced himself in a lot of his letters. Paul, a servant of Christ. Saul, excuse me, Paul, a doulos, a bondservant, a slave of Christ. Fascinating. But you know what else? Even more importantly, this word for servant, doulos, bondservant, slave, it's the word used to describe Jesus, the freest man who ever walked this earth. We read in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Let's put it up on the screen. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped himself, but emptied himself, excuse me, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself by taking the form of a doulos, a servant, a bondservant, a slave. Church, that is true freedom, biblically defined. Loving, sacrificial service. Not because you are attempting to earn God's favor, but because you already have it. You know that you know, and you know that you're free to give away your life on behalf of others. St. Patrick, for which we get St. Patrick's Day, he knew such freedom. Born in Britain back in 389 A.D., when Britain was invaded by Irish plunderers, Patrick was taken away in his teenage years as a slave to Ireland. And for six years, Patrick herded pigs in Ireland as a slave. But providentially, during his time in Ireland, he came to a saving faith in Christ. He became spiritually free. And a little later on, he escaped. He became physically free. And he went back to his native homeland, Britain. But here's what's most shocking. He didn't stay in Britain. You know what? He went back to Ireland. This time as a slave of Christ, armed with the gospel. He went back for 30 years, facing captivity, kidnapping, and the rest in service of his savior. Church, that's what it means to be free. Freed from slavery so that you can give your life away, not under compulsion, but in love for Christ and love for one another. For we read in verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this freedom does not mean freedom from the law. Quite the contrary. It means freedom to fulfill the law. Let's put it all together. Don't want to miss the irony, as I mentioned earlier. Here it is. Christ has set you free to be a slave. Christ has set you free from the bondage of the law, meaning living, trying to live a life of perfection and performance, so that you can live out the moral teachings of the law. Love among one another. 
See, the Galatians were not saved and set free just to be a group of isolated individuals. No. And neither are we. Platt and Marita in their commentary on Galatians says this. We are brought out of bondage to live in community. Oh, as Americans, we so often miss this point. I mean, it's true. We're, as Americans, we, we, love to, we love to talk about freedom. We love to sing about freedom, right? You know, freedom to be who we are. Freedom to glory our individuality and our autonomy. We love that talk of freedom. Not that it's all bad, but that's where we go in our mind when we talk about freedom. But does that freedom include the freedom to commit yourself to others? Does your freedom include the freedom to deny yourself for the sake of others? If it tempts your brother or if it tempts your sister in Christ to violate or stumble or violate their conscience, I'm not going to go there, just jot down Romans 14. Does that freedom that you have and possess include the freedom to consider others more significant than yourself. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. To consider their interests, not just your own. Church, what matters to God is faith working through love. But you know what else? I think it's what matters most to people we seek to share the gospel with, to evangelize and disciple. Listen, they're not so impressed with your individuality and your individual expressions and your preferences. They're expressed with your community and our love. You know, this past week, I was listening to a podcast that my, uh, I asked my son to send me. It's the story of a family who my son CJ is currently serving in Louisville, Kentucky. He's serving this family, mowing their lawn, playing with their kids. He's doing this as part of his church in a ministry called Love Thy Neighbor. It's a story of David and Ishraq. They are Iraqi refugees who fled their home after seeing their own family members murdered before their eyes. Can you imagine fleeing your home with nothing on you as you're stepping over the dead bodies of your brother and sister and an uncle? They fled Iraq and spent seven years in Syria, neighboring Syria, in a resettlement refugee camp before finally making it to America. But it didn't get easier when they came to America. People of their own faith refused to help them. And their own extended family rejected them after they had a Down syndrome child and decided to keep him. They knew no one. And they were in Louisville, Kentucky. So who do they turn to? They turned to Christians because they remembered the love shown them in the refugee camps in Syria. And so to them, they turned for help. And during the podcast interview, David described the church he saw. And it just fascinated me. This is what he said. I saw a people united around Jesus who are a family related by love. That's what they saw. A family, a people united around Jesus who are a family 
related by love. And a little while after, they ended up giving their lives to Christ and they were baptized in CJ's church. I love that. People united around Jesus who are a family related by love. Church, that is what God is doing here at Palm Vista, I believe. And I'm excited to see it. A people united around Jesus, a family related by love. Not a people united around just one particular practice or one particular tradition or one particular custom. As good as those may be. Oh, we all have traditions and customs, right? They can aid in our worship and our sanctification and our growth. But they are not our worship and they are not our identity. Jesus is. Oh, church, may we be a people who are serious about Jesus. I'm not talking here about softening our gospel convictions one bit. May we be a people who take Jesus seriously. But we may also be a people who don't take ourselves so seriously. It's Jesus, not Jesus plus Corey, Jesus plus Al, Jesus plus fill in your own name. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Love the quote from author Gary Thomas. The gospel frees us from being stupidly serious. If you know me, yeah, I'm a little quiet and intense, okay? I, I need that. And I have learned that from many of you. I've learned from Al as well, in the best of senses. Oh, church, we are a people who are united around Christ. And when we unite around Christ, in Christ alone, you know what happens? People feel welcome in our presence. People who may share the same gospel convictions, but have different practices and preferences feel welcomed, respected, and loved. And those who do not yet share our love for Jesus, who do not yet possess our gospel convictions, they have space, they have time to place their faith in Jesus without having to become us. And they feel welcomed in our presence. Just like sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, Pagans felt comfortable around Jesus. So they felt welcomed. In church, when this freedom is operating, you see, it is winsome. It is contagious. You know what it is? It's missional. It's disciple-making. People want in. David and Eshrach from Iraq, they want in. What do they want into? They want what you got. They want Jesus. Others want in. People of different faith, ethnicities, colors want in. People with different music tastes and clothing tastes and political persuasions want in because they want Jesus because we are a people united around Jesus. That's what biblical freedom does. And that's what God is doing here at Palm Vista Church. That's what it's doing in my heart. And I press it keeps doing in our hearts. We're on our way. We're learning, church. We're gonna get there. God has done already a great work in us. I just wanna say, thank you, Lord. Keep doing it. Okay, I see it in Palm Vista. Keep doing it. Oh, church. And we'd be a people who live in this freedom. And we'd be a people who know what it is to enjoy this freedom. And as we do so, may we watch God work here in your life, 
and in Palm Vista for his glory. Amen? Amen. If I could have the band come up here, we're going to play one last song by way of application. Grace unmeasured. How appropriate to celebrate God's grace. Let's turn our eyes. Let's keep our eyes upon the grace of Jesus. For they are so easily diverted, church. It's why we sing these songs. Because our minds go off Christ. Our eyes go off Christ into ourselves. So let's take this as a solemn moment to put into practice, to sing and ask God that he would deliver these truths into our heart. Can I just pray for a moment here? Then we'll begin. Well, Lord, this is only possible by your spirit. So we ask by your spirit that you would set us free that we would live in this freedom, that we would experience it, that the words that we're about to sing not just be an intellectual assent, but we would know it, we believe it, and we would walk out these doors and live in it. So Spirit, do your work in us now, we pray, as we sing. Amen. Amen. Let us stand, let us respond, church, in faith. <laughs>